I, I, I want us to just think about it for a moment. A, a soccer ball with spikes on it that is less than 1.25 nanometers in sphere. That is less than one billionth of a yardstick. And what we are talking about has literally crippled or paused or paralyzed our world that we live in. More so than the Cold War of the 80s or the Y2K scare of the, of the millennium uh, or of uh, the 2008 financial crisis or even 2014 Ebola uh, breakout. The coronavirus or COVID-19 has literally shaped us and moved us and fear caused great fear to sweep over us. We've closed our churches on Easter Sunday. Can you imagine? We have uh, sent our kids home to do homeschooling. Uh, everyone's a homeschooler now. Uh, we have closed our offices and now we, instead of meeting in boardrooms, we meet in Zoom rooms. So it's a different day and it's all happened just since January of this year. What an incredible journey that we're on. Even our seniors in high school and college, they can't graduate. They can't graduate with pomp and circumstance and all the, 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 the uh, excitement of, uh, of a pageantry of, of graduation and the commencement and speaking and, and, and the proms. None of that. So here's what I want to do. I want to really honor our graduates. We have graduates in our church that aren't getting that pomp and circumstances. On May 17th, we are going to honor our graduates well. So if you know of a graduate, would you give them a shout out right now? Write their name in the comment section, tag them in it, give them a big high five, put a cap and gown in there, something like that, and acknowledge our graduates. We are proud of you and sticking in there. Listen. Your class will have endured something that no other class in history has endured. So you've got something uh, to write home about. Only history will tell whether or not we have overreacted or we underreacted or we appropriately reacted. It's, it's still too early to know. Too early to know that this disruption, this 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 shutdown, this quarantine, this stay-at-home order is really what needed to happen. But regardless of it all, it has created a disruption in our culture, in our society, in our world, and it's added pressure, pressure to the family, pressure to our finances, pressure to our health. It's added a, an element of stress that has been released into our life. Even marriages that said till death us do part are now saying death may part us. And that may be the future if we still stay together in the same house under the same roof for the next foreseeable future. So we're living in stressful, anxious times. How do we manage that? I compare it to riding a bike, right? Used to, you would get up and you would get on a bike and you would just take off and go. Just like every other day. You'd get up, get dressed, shower, eat breakfast, go out the door. You just live life. You assume that tomorrow would be just like the day before. What a disruption is, a disruption is an interruption to our assumption. Well, I said it was like riding a bike. You get on a bike and you ride from to, uh, to and fro. I remember the first time I rode a bike and my mother let go of the hand, let go of the seat. I was 25 yards down the road, looked back and feeling free as a bird. I still remember that day. And then Mike Keller took me out 
on these. Slaughter pen, uh, listen, I'm near Armadillo Last Stand. You know, what in the world? That's not like riding a bike on the Greenway, okay? That's not like riding a bike in my neighborhood. That's a different level of biking, okay? Where you, your assumptions of what's around the corner and how do I navigate that trail and what about that hill and that bump and how do I deal with that? We're living on slaughter pen. That alone tells you we're living in a day of disruption. How do we deal with the interruptions to our assumptions? Well, there's going to be a natural response inside of us. It's a chemical response in our brain where stress hormones are dumped into our brain. Our body gets into adrenaline and we are going to fight or we are going to flight. Well, we're living in a day of anxiety and stress And how do we navigate the the greenways? We've had more people injured on the greenways with breaking ribs and punctured lungs and broken collarbones than I can even tell you. But the point is this. You still navigate the way that you're on, the path that you're traveling. How do you deal with that? How's your stress level? Here's what I want you to do. I want to offer you a free stress inventory. If If you will text stress, just stress, to 97000. At the end of our gathering today, we're going to send you a stress inventory that you can literally take and figure out what is your stress level. I want to encourage you today that Jesus wants to walk with us in our seasons of stress. He says it this way in a paraphrased version of, of the scriptures in Matthew eleven twenty eight and following. Come to me. Get away. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. Some of us are wanting to recover the normalcy of the disruption before it ever happened. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me. He calls us to be his apprentice. Walk with me and work with me. He does going to have a load for us to carry. There will be stress in our life, but he will help us in that season. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of life. What is an unforced rhythm of life? What does that mean to walk in an unforced rhythm? That's what I want you to hang on to that phrase today. Because when we are under stress, when we're under anxiety, when we're under a load, and I'm right now wearing a 20-pound vest. Uh, it's of steel. It's a it's a, I don't know if it's bulletproof, don't shoot at me, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's a metal vest, a weighted vest. And, you know, as I wear this vest, I, I realize that I'm tired of wearing it. I've worn it ever since I got out of bed this morning and got out of the shower. I've had it on all day. I'm sweating underneath it. I'm tired of wearing it. It's heavy. My back is beginning to hurt. That's a lot of how stress treats us. Anxiety treats us. It's like a weighted vest. You wear it around all day. You should have seen some of the funny looks people have given me as I wore, wear this in places. You wear your stress around other people. You might get used to it, but you're still wearing it. Rabbi Friedman said it like this, that we need to live with a non-anxious presence. When I think about Jesus calling us to live in the unforced rhythms of life, I think about a living a life with a non-anxious presence. Leaders, we need to have a non-anxious presence in this day of disruption. Parents, your children need a non-anxious presence in this day of disruption. Parents, or husband and wife, 
your spouse needs a non-anxious presence. It doesn't mean you don't acknowledge the anxiety. It doesn't mean you don't feel the pain. It doesn't mean you don't carry the stress. But how do you carry the stress? How do you carry the load is what I want to talk about today. Because week one, we talked about hopelessness and how Christ gives us hope in a hopeless circumstances. Last week, we talked about relationship and connecting with God intimately, even though we're distant from Him, connecting with others and the value of those relationships as Devin shared with us today. I want to share about what God does with our pressures, with our anxious thoughts, with our anxiety. He empowers us through prayer. He empowers us through prayer. We're going to look at the life of David. David with greatest kings ever. But don't you know, if you're the king of any nation, you've got a load of stress on you. I mean, you're the king of the greatest superpower of his day. He was that king. He had, he had external pressures from his jobs and duties. He had internal pressures inside of his own soul. He had done some pretty boneheaded things and got him in trouble. Well, that was a stress and an anxiety that he had to carry. He had family anxieties. He had family because his son himself was trying to overthrow him. So there was a lot of pressure and stress and anxiety on David. And if you look at Psalm 55, we get a glimpse inside that stress and that anxiety and that pressure. And so let us look today. I want us to look at three parts of the anatomy of anxiety. And let's learn from David in Psalm 55. Let's learn how we are to handle the anxieties of life. Part number one, pressure on the soul produces anxiety in the mind. You carry it in your soul. It's going to produce anxiety in your mind. Your thoughts are going to go a while. You're going to feel stress and pressure and anxiety inside of you. I want to encourage you with what Brene Brown said feel your feelings. Don't run from them. Don't say you don't have them. Don't say you're not feeling them. Feel your feelings. If you are feeling anxious, feel them and name them and, 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 and put them out there. David was feeling a lot of things. He felt even as if God had abandoned him. He felt God had left him. In Psalm 55 verse 1 to 3, it says it like this, Oh God, hide not yourself from my plea. Literally, he felt like, God, you've left me. He says, attend to me and answer me. God, where are you at? I'm calling out to you and you're not hearing me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. You hear the emotion in that? He is caught up in the emotion. And then he goes on to talk about the noise of the enemy, the oppression of the wicked, and they drop trouble and they they, 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 their grudge is against me, David felt like he was all alone. It was an anxious feeling that he was feeling inside that was being translated to his mind as he was sorting through it all. And you know what David does so well? Is he names them. He gets very specific about feeling his feelings and naming them. Because in, in the following verses, in verse 4, it says, My heart is in anguish within me. Terrors and death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horrors overcome me. He literally felt as if he was going to break. So, first thing we must do 
in the bit of anxiety that we feel is to realize that the anxiety on our soul will create an anxiety in the mind. The pressure on our soul will create an anxiety in our mind. Even if you're not feeling the same anxieties as the people next to you, I realize this, that there's some people that are feeling anxious just from being quarantined. I mean, everything else is in order, but just being quarantined. And we know that because studies have been done. The, a university in London did a study and published it just recently about the pressure that people feel during times of quarantine. They went back and they interviewed people following the Ebola uh, quarantine in 2014 in West Africa, the SARS outbreak in China and Canada in 2003, and they interviewed them. And this is what they found. The feelings that they were feeling was acute stress disorder, exhaustion, irritability, insomnia, post-traumatic stress syndrome. That's what people feel when they're at war. Depression, fear, sadness, numbness, grief, confusion. Does any of those describe you? Those are the feelings that you're feeling. Name them, put them down, tell them to God. He can handle it. He wants to hear those from you. Brene Brown, if I can quote from her one more time, she talks about people who are dealing with anxiety as there are high-functioning people and low-functioning people. And somewhere we need to be in the middle. The high-functioning people take, the, take it by, by the, uh, the situation under their control. They don't need help. They're going to fix the problem. They're fixers. They're fighters. Then there's the under-functioning. Those are the, those are the ones who freeze up. Those are the ones that, that can't move on. Those are the ones who want to flee and get away. What was David? Read Psalm 55 and tell me if David is not a low-functioning. Neither is Ryder, but he was a low-functioning. He dealt with stress because he wanted to run. This is what it says in verse 6. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. Sounds beautiful, right? He says, I would fly away and be at rest. David was suffering from destination disease. That's whenever you feel like, if I can just go there, if I can just get that job, if I can just have that relationship, if I could just have that home, if I could just make that much money, then I would be at rest. That's what he was wanting. Is He was wanting a different life. He wanted to live somebody else's life. Verse 7, it says this. It says, yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. David is in the fertile lands of Jerusalem. And what is he doing? God, take me to the desert. I would rather live in the desert than live in the fertile lands. He was suffering from wanting to get away. Low functioning, get out of here, run away from the anxiety. That's what happens when the pressure's on us. It leads us to anxious thoughts in the mind. Anxious thoughts in the mind happen. Number two, anxiety in the mind comes from anxious circumstances. Anxious circumstances. The relationships could be a relationship gone amok. It could be uh, unfulfilled relationships. It could be broken promises. It could be a health situation. You could have got a bad health report. It could be a job loss. It could be financial losses in this season. It could be changes around you, even positive changes. All add to stress in our life, anxiety in our life. It's a disruption. It's an interruption to our assumptions, even in the good things of life. 
Even though we don't have COVID-19, maybe you don't, you might get it. You haven't lost your job, but you might lose your job. The relationship hasn't gone bad, but it might go bad. And some people live in the fear of not even something that's happened to them. What happens? Here's a life principle for you. Get it down big, plain, and straight. Anxiety makes you miserable in the present while you try to prevent misery in the future. Anxiety makes you miserable in the present while you try to prevent misery in the future. That's what we don't want. And when we live in that state of anxiety and it takes over our minds, it takes over our lives, we allow the circumstances of our life to control us and dictate how we are and who we are, then we have lost control and we need to turn back. David was in a state where he was trying to get control. Again, trying to figure things out. His son Absalom, what many people believe his son Absalom was the the antagonizer in his life. The person that should have been right in the shadows of his father was actually trying to dethrone his father. It's an incredible story. You can read it in 2 Samuel 15 to 17. But basically why we believe this is because in verse 12 and in verse 13, it says this. He says, it's not my enemy because I could bear it. It's not even those who, who are my adversary. Otherwise, I could hide from him. He identifies who it is, verse 13. This is the circumstance, a relationship. The relationship. It says, but it is you, a man. My equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. See what happened in David's life somehow, some way. A relationship went bad and created anxiety in his life. And this person who we don't know, Absalom or whomever it was, was a person who was stabbing David in the back. He's actually very passive aggressive, whoever it was. Because this is what he says about him in verse 21. He says, His speech was smooth like butter, yet war was in his heart. See, he was to my face. He was, he was smooth and sweet and, and creamy like butter. But when he was not with me, he was stabbing me in the back. Listen, I, I don't know how you are in your relationships right now, but again, you married someone maybe if you're married today and you love them but right now you've been with them so long you can't stand them you you maybe you're tired of being in the house with them you love your kids but really you'd like your kids to go off right now see what happens is the circumstances and sometimes the circumstances are relationships that's what was going on in David's even good relationships can cause anxiety in our life how do we deal with it Pressures on our soul, create anxiety in the mind, anxiety in the mind. Where does that come from? From the circumstances of our life, the anxious circumstances of our life. How do we get out of the anxious circumstances? How do we bear up under this load? With that leads me to the third part in the anatomy of anxiety is anxious circumstances requires confident prayer. Yes, I said prayer. Prayer is what sets us free. Like I said, I've been wearing a metal armored vest all day since I got up. My my, my back's tired and I'm ready to take it off. But it's going to take intentionality. 
relief, taking off the anxious. How do you do it? You do it through prayer. Prayer is what gives you the strength to rise up. I know that sounds like a Christian tried answer, but just remember, everything about Psalm 55 is a prayer of David. He literally starts it with those words, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. He is literally crying out to God, saying, God, I need you to hear my prayer. I don't see you there. I don't know that you're there, but I need you to hear my prayer. There's three quality prayers that you really see in this because he starts with prayer. In the middle, he's praying, and at the very last words of the the chapter, he's praying. He's praying all the way through. We learn how to pray in anxious moments, in stressful seasons. How do you do it? One is you pray honestly. Feel your feelings and tell God about them. Tell him what's going on, what you're feeling. Notice what he said in verse 2. I'm restless, God. I moan, God. My heart is in anguish in verse 4. Terrors of death in verse 4. Verse 5, that fear and trembling. He literally names them out. This is what's going on, God. This is what's going on inside of me. And God doesn't shame him. God doesn't rebuke him. He literally hears the anxious thoughts of his heart. So pray honestly. Number two, pray consistently. Notice in the middle of the chapter, the beginning, the middle, and the end, the middle of the chapter, in verse 16, he says, but I call to God. I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Just from verse 1 and 2, when he's questioning where is God and crying out for God to hear him, all the way to verse 16, he's already, his shoulders are starting to rise back. He's starting to stand a little taller. He's saying, the Lord is my salvation. And notice this, that evening and morning and noon and evening and morning and noon and evening and morning and noon, he says, I utter my complaint. I moan and he hears my voice. He went from questioning God hearing him to saying God is hearing me. He's still moaning. His circumstances haven't changed. The reality is still his reality, but his God is becoming more his reality in his story line. We've got to remember that we can worry or we can pray. We can worry or we can pray. Worry will work on you and beat you down. Prayer will work for you and grow you up. God wants to grow you up in seasons of anxiety. Pray honestly, pray continuously, but also pray resiliently. Realize that you're going to get stronger as you pray. I love the last verse in the chapter. Don't miss it. It starts with a big but. Yes, I think God likes big butts. Don't be singing that song either. Uh, He likes it because here's what he does. He says, but I trust in you. That's what David said. He says, my circumstances are still what they are, but I trust in you. See, the assumption was I'm supposed to bear my own load. That's the assumption. The new reality, God wants to bear your load with you. And that's exactly what he says in verse 22. Verse 22 has been my verse for the past six months. It's just been one of those I keep going back to again and again. I encourage you to memorize it. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you.
It may mean every day. It may mean as David did, morning, noon, and night, casting your burden on him, casting your burden on him, casting your burden on him. He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Do you, will you trust him? Will you lean on him? In the disruption of our day, we're not riding bikes on the greenway anymore, my friends. We're on slaughter pen. We're on armadillo's last stand. But will we have the faith in God that we need, trusting in him? Edward Mote wrote a beautiful hymn that we sang at the end of our worship time earlier. On Christ the solid rock I stand. No, all of the ground is shifting sand. But right before that, he said, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. He was a carpenter. He had built houses. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Will you lean on Jesus in this season? Will you find strength to live that non-anxious presence, to live in the rhythms of grace? We're going to spend some time talking with Jeff, one of the counselors in our church, and just get some good advice on how to live in anxious times. So, Jeff, tell us who you are, what you do, all that kind of good stuff. Absolutely. So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, meaning I work with um, couples primarily, but also see individuals at the Joshua Center um, here uh, just down the road. But I also am a full-time professor at John Brown University. So you teach the counselors who counsel. That's right. That's a heavy responsibility. Yeah, Yeah, it's fun, though, like getting to work with people that are going to then work with people. So I love doing that. Gotcha. Well, uh, just shared a message on anxiety and the worries that come with this. David went through his own bouts. We all go through our own bouts. Surely COVID has introduced some of this to us. Um, I want to talk to you as a friend. I want to talk to you almost as a counselor from my, my seat that I'm in. Because I have to say, even though I feel like I do pretty good with stress... I feel like I'm living under stress. Here's, yeah. Here are my symptoms, doctor. Help me with this. I'm eating more than I should. I put on more weight. Yep. I'm not sleeping good at night. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit more irritable. Mm-hmm. And I don't have answers. And I'm an answer kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Fix me. Yes, this is really hard. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. can you fix me? <laughs> well, I don't know if we have enough time to fix you yeah. today. But like the reality is this is just a normal like response to an abnormal situation. So like I get it that um, the way you've been managing the stress has not been what you want to see. Like mm-hmm. you don't want to see yourself go for that third donut. Mm-hmm. Or like you don't want to see yourself only get five hours of sleep. But the reality is um, if we can at first just admit like this is a normal response to an abnormal situation, I think it like eases some of the pressure and the anxiety that we often experience. Like it's not just that I experience all this stress and how I'm navigating it. It's that I'm also making it worse by what I tell myself. Because my guess is, Mike, when you stress eat, when you don't get enough sleep, when you're irritable, you probably then start to look down on yourself or you right. tell yourself something negative, And that doesn't make you feel better, is my guess. No, in fact, so let me key on one of the things you said, normal response. I'm sitting there going my third donut or third piece of pizza that I don't normally eat, but not right now I am. Yeah. Is that a normal response? Because actually what I feel is I feel worse. The right. shame game comes yep. on me because it's like then I like I want to eat more donuts. Yep. And so what I mean you say normal response. I'm I'm still struggling with that because sure. I, I don't feel normal when I'm yeah. gaining weight. I don't feel yeah. normal this is being irritable with the family. But your circumstances are also not normal. 
Right, so to expect yourself just to have um, accomplished like this perfect adaptation to COVID, mm-hmm. to quarantine, to physical distancing um, is a really high bar that you would have set for yourself, right? Because like in normal situations, these are not hurdles you have to jump over. Like in normal mm-hmm. everyday situation, you don't have to experience um, the fact that you can't see people or that you're not allowed to go get a haircut, or you're not allowed to do whatever mm-hmm. you are normally doing. So the fact that you are in an abnormal situation, like it makes sense that you have new strategies that you're using. Mm-hmm. Like even if they feel like they're outside of your typical daily walk, for this season, it's a normal response. Now, it doesn't mean that you want to keep doing it. Like I'm not mm-hmm. saying like, great. Like, <laughs> keep eating the keep donuts. Keep eating all the donuts. <laughs> my, my sisters have coped with stress by baking quite a bit. Yeah. And the way they bake, they then drop it off at my house. Oh. So like, I get it. Like, <laughs> I have been eating more desserts than I probably should have. And so I don't like that, but I first need to at least admit like, okay, wait a minute. I am not allowed to do what I normally do at work. Yeah. I can't see the people that I normally experience. So it makes sense why like, I've just picked up some new habit, even though I don't want to. So at least for me to admit, like, okay, it makes sense why you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Now I can figure out, like, well, I, I want to do something different. This is not how I want to see myself act. Mm-hmm. Right? So I want to ask myself this question. So in eight weeks, when I look back on this season of life, like, how, what's going to make me feel like I really was successful? Mm-hmm. And it's probably not to have eaten the, you said third mm-hmm. donut, probably the sixth donut, mm-hmm. seventh donut. Mm-hmm. And so I at least want to start answering that so I can have some tangible way of knowing like, okay, what do I want to do differently? But mm-hmm. at least I want to get you out of shaming yourself for what you've already done. Like that's not mm-hmm. going to help. It's only going to make us um, do that more. Do that more. So let's, let's talk about the family dynamics. You, anybody, myself included, but all of a sudden you went from seeing your spouse and family for two hours, maybe over a quick dinner before you went to your sporting event or your dance, whatever. And then everyone comes home, goes to bed, and then you get up and you run out the door. Now all of a sudden you're eight, Mm -hmm. 12 Mm -hmm. hours together. And the stress that's, that's there, how do you, how do you deal with that? Well, it's a great question because it's, it's, I'm actually seeing this quite a bit with just friends, family, and uh, the, the couples mm-hmm. that I work with that this, has, uh, this situation is exacerbating. Like tension that might have already been there, even if you were in a, like, a good to great marriage, mm-hmm. like you're having more exposure to each other. Um, and if you're in a hard place in your marriage um, or in your relationships, then it's just exacerbating the tension that was already there. Mm-hmm. And so the... Like what we typically need, like in our relationships, which I think is as we've we've talked about, mm-hmm. like how we were designed, which mm-hmm. is to live in safe community. Um, this is giving us a lot of opportunities to live right. in safe community with our partner, but it hasn't necessarily been the mindset that we've approached it with. Like because right. when I experience stress, when I experience this tension, when I have more conflict with my mm-hmm. partner, I generally don't just look at it as oh. Here's an opportunity to live in safe community with my partner. Though that might be a good way to do it. It's just not what we do. So one thing like we need to do is to learn like how can I send a clear message to my partner when something's coming up for me? Because most of the time in stressful situations, I have adapted in one of two ways. I typically either pursue or I withdraw. Sometimes people call it like I either fight or flight. Yeah. Right, so I don't know what your typical mode oh, is. Oh, I can like, tell you exactly yeah. what it is. I go home, Lori asks me about my day, and if I'm in stress mode, it's like I say nothing. Oh, and she sits in front of me. So you're my wife. 
<laughs> yeah, so this is like, so my typical response is like pursuit. So I want to talk about it. Like, uh, hey, uh, something's wrong. Like, what's going on? I know something's wrong. Why aren't you talking about this? Why aren't you telling me? Why aren't you telling me? Why aren't you telling me? Yeah. My wife is just like, hey, I don't want to talk about this right now. If you would just leave me alone, that'd be great. Like, why can't we just sit down and watch Netflix? What do you do? Like, how, do you is... how do you find the balance? So first is like to not assume that you're doing it the right way. Right, that, like that. I, that my method is the right that way. That your but it method is. is the right way, of course. Right. <laughs> so, because we all think that if my partner would just do the thing that I'm doing, mm. right? Because it both makes sense. Like for me, if Lindsay would just start talking, then this would be fine, mm-hmm. right? And that's how I think. And for Lindsay, she's like, if Jeff would just back off and give me some space, we would be able to navigate this. Like those are both completely reasonable, like expectations or at least thoughts that I have about my partner. So again, for us to be able to have like a clean message that I can deliver, I have to be aware of like our maneuvers that we typically do because our maneuvers make sense. The more I pursue, the more your wife like tries to get Mm -hmm. you to talk, my guess is it doesn't typically work. No. (laughs) <laughs> the more you're just going to withdraw, and the more yeah. you withdraw and pull away from her, the more she's going to try to get you to talk. And the more she feels left out. Yes, and so like that mm-hmm. right there would be a clean message. Which then creates tension and stress. Yes. In so the if I can get to the underneath part, which is why do I pursue and go after like try to mm-hmm. talk about my wife, talk with my wife, mm-hmm. and why do I withdraw and try to get away from this conflict? Mm-hmm. Chances are there's an underneath part that we're not communicating with each other. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's generally like, I feel really helpless. Mm-hmm. Like if I, if I can't get you to talk, then I'm afraid I'm not going to be any help for you. Right. And I don't want to be seen in my marriage as someone who's helpless or that he's not like I'm failing you. But I, I'm not sharing that. Right. I'm not saying like, hey, I'm really afraid, you know, babe, like, I'm afraid I'm just going to be a failure if I can't help you out of this. I don't say that. I just go, hey, why aren't you talking? Like, I know something's wrong. Start talking. So where does the conversation start then? In my head, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm the person who shuts down, mm-hmm. the conversation, does it start with her? So I'm the one stressed. I'm the one. She's trying to figure out what's going on. Do I need to be the one who goes, okay, my wife is wanting to hear. Mm. I need to open up. Mm. Or is, is the onus on her, hey, Mike doesn't need to talk right now. Or is it a both and? Or, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Who, because sometimes you get in a stalemate sure. relationship yeah. against stress. The reality is it's either or both, right? So. Okay. Like, I love, this is my wheelhouse. Like, this is what I love to talk about, right? So in James, it tells us what, like, what is it that causes conflict and fights among you? Is it not this? Mm -hmm. Now, what I wish it said after that is, like, it's because your spouse. Like, your spouse Mm -hmm. is crazy. Mm -hmm. She's not doing things right. It Mm -hmm. doesn't say that, right? It says because your passions are at war inside you. Right, so there's something going on for you. So if I want to start the conversation with my with my partner, if I'm feeling stressed or I've been worried, I'm feeling anxious, and like it's it's resulted in us having conflict, I need to first understand the passions that are at war inside of me. I don't need to try to get her to do a better job of like talking to me. I need to first figure out like, what is it that's going on in here? Because I have a longing and a desire that I want to like experience with her. So maybe it's, I want to feel appreciated or I want to feel accepted. I want to feel some relief. But I also have this experience that I'm not getting it. So instead of experiencing feeling appreciated, I feel helpless. And so this war inside of me, like, that I want this, but I'm actually feeling this, comes out as me, like, lecturing her. Like, Uh you should do a better job of this. Uh But that's not what I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. And it's not actually communicating to her what I wanted her to hear. But... Mm As scripture said, like, if I don't understand the war inside of me, it's going to be hard for my partner to. So 
the issue starts inside of Mike, inside of Mike, not me expecting Lori to treat me a different way. And the issue inside of Lori needs to start with her. For sure. So it's, it's almost that selflessness of marriage. Yeah. Well, it's, and, it's, <laughs> and it's not natural. Like what we no. normally want to do is help our partner see that it was probably their fault. Yeah. Right? Like mm-hmm. if you could just have done it differently or said it differently or approach me in a better way, um, would that have helped? Maybe. But like ultimately my responsibility, my power comes from like myself. I ultimately have no control over how my wife approaches or if she answers me, but I do have control over how I navigate this war that's going on inside of me. Right. So let's talk about the single person, the person who has lost their job, the person who is not married, can't go home to a spouse to either process or find consult. What does a person do whenever they're alone in the marital world that we live in? How do they find out what's yeah, so whether whether I'm a single person or I've been, whether that's a result of, like, I'm just single or I've been divorced or widowed or whatever, mm-hmm. or I'm married, like, the, the reality is we're all still built to be in community, mm-hmm. right? So if you're married, like, ideally that your community starts with your partner. Like, it doesn't work out that way sometimes for people because there's a lot of tension and stress. If I'm single, it doesn't mean I'm still not built to be in community. Right. It just means that my community doesn't start with my partner or my spouse. Mm-hmm. So, like, this physical distancing and quarantine like that we're experiencing has now robbed us of a lot of opportunity for me to experience that community where mm-hmm. I might have at my job, I might have been in fellowship in my community group. I might have been able to swing by the church and talk to a pastor. I mm-hmm. might have been able to have an in, you know, in-person appointment with my counselor. Like I'm now being robbed of all of those normal avenues that I would have. But the longing is still there, right? Like that for yeah. I experience stress and I need to be able to send a clean message to somebody so that they can then respond to me and that I can experience this, like, um, connection with them. Right. So it doesn't matter if it's a spouse or not because I'm single. I still need that. Yeah. Now, so what's great, like, is I, I have that with the Lord. Like, yes. access is there the entire time, but I get it. Like, so sometimes... I have family members that would tell you they really struggle with anxiety, and it's a very isolating experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they know every scripture in the Bible that says mm-hmm. the word anxiety. And they're like, mm-hmm. I pray and it doesn't go away. Right. So I'm not saying, like, just because you pray through this stressful time or anxiety that you'll experience peace. but Because mm-hmm. um, often the Lord uses our community to help us alleviate that. So it's a good start, but I'm not saying that it ultimately has to be the end so a single person a person who's a widow for whatever reason they're mm-hmm. they're, they're they live by themselves so they they're they don't go it alone that's what i'm hearing you say mm-hmm. it, find that community be in community yeah. reconnect in in community and again this is not a commercial break but we do have communitas groups that are ready yeah. to invite you in maybe it's zoom and it's not perfect but maybe it's where community starts today. Yeah. And it kind of puts us all on the level playing field at least. Don't go it alone is what you're saying. Yeah, I think going at it alone will only exacerbate the stress that I'm currently experiencing. Right. right? Like we are not built to do this alone. We're not right. supposed to go at it alone. We are supposed to right. do, bear one another's burdens. Like we're supposed to be doing this. Like I do this even professionally, like right. with people that have gone through really hard experiences and they might not be single, but they, they still don't have anybody that's safe for them in their community. Like I might be in community, but they're just not safe for me to share with. Yeah. 
right? And so that's a real, that can be even lonelier, is that I live with people, but nobody really is safe enough for me to be vulnerable with. Right. So one, one scenario that came up recently with our neighbor literally across the street, and I know it's happened to other people, is there was actually a death. And we, we, we felt like we were like in a bubble because we wanted to go love on our neighbors across the street, but we couldn't. And, you know, you think about that. I missed that opportunity. Other family members have experienced the same thing where they couldn't go to the graveside. They couldn't go to a funeral. They can't go to a wedding. They can't, they can't go to a graduation. Man, how do you help somebody in a season that only happens once, death, marriage, graduation? How do you get a handle on that emotionally so you're not overwhelmed? Yeah, well, so uh, the first thing is I might be overwhelmed, and that's uh-huh. okay. Like, to my initial experience of this, being overwhelmed, again, I don't want to talk somebody out of that. Like, I, as a professor, I have faced my, my students now via Zoom, and I just cried over Zoom with them. And I was just wow. like, this is hard. I, you guys did not sign up for this. You are not going to get to walk across the stage when you thought you were going to walk across the stage here in a couple of weeks, mm. and I can't do anything about it, but I am sorry that you're wow. going through that. So what's... What's at least something that I that comes to my mind when I think about this? Um, one is like notice how we all realize something is off here, mm-hmm. right? Like this is just this communal experience that we realize there's something's not right in the world because we're disconnected from one another. Like yeah. there's something broken if we are not allowed to mourn with people. Like in even my own family, I, like my grandfather passed away just in November, but I think about what it would have looked like. You know, fast forward six months, if we couldn't have stood around that with him, prayed said over goodbye. him, said goodbye, and cried together, like that would have been devastating. Right. And so, and that's okay for it to be devastating. Mm-hmm. Like for us to just not try to make it feel better than it actually does. Right. Can I sit with you over Zoom? Can I experience this with you and just know this is not how it's supposed to be? I hate that your wedding had to get moved up or that only X number of people got to come. This was Mm. not what it was supposed to be like. I am so sorry. How can I still be here for you? Mm -hmm. How can I be here for my family? Let us mourn Mm -hmm. this loss that Mm -hmm. we're all experiencing, this loss of what we thought it was supposed Mm -hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. Whether I've lost my job, I've lost a family member, I've lost a celebration that I yeah. was supposed to have. Mm-hmm. Can we just be able to look at that and mourn together? So, so you're literally saying, even though it's a wedding, you use the word mourn, mm-hmm. grieve. So there's almost like, even though it's a celebration event, you go through a stage of mourning. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so we call this um, ambiguous loss. Because it's not traditional loss in the sense that we normally experience, like grief. Mm-hmm. But we've lost something. We've lost what it was supposed to be. We've wow. lost what this communal experience was supposed to look like. Like, think about your wedding, like, if you weren't able to celebrate it. I had a birthday just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. It was not supposed to be this way, <laughs> right? Like, I share a birthday with my sister. We always get together on our birthday together. We couldn't. So we had a uh, Zoom birthday, yeah. which was fine. Uh-huh. And we were still, it was still gave us a taste of what it's supposed uh-huh. to look like. But it just wasn't the same. And It'll be a, a birthday you'll never forget. We'll like, <laughs> never forget our Zoom party uh-huh. with each other. But uh-huh. like, it's okay for us to just experience that as a loss, yeah. even though it was still a fun day to celebrate our birthday. Yeah. 
I think if we can make room for our hearts to experience multiple things at the same time, like we'll be better off. Like we don't have multiple to emotions yeah, happening okay. at the same time. Yeah. Wow. So you, you don't have to just experience like a good or a bad. There's often a mixture in there. So if yeah. I can articulate like, yes, I'm excited to graduate, but I'm also really disappointed that I didn't get to celebrate yeah. with these people. That gives people a complete picture of what it's like to be you instead of just trying to talk ourselves into one side or the other. Well, as as you process through your own circumstances and situations, I know Jeff is incredible. We have incredible counselors in the church that uh, different locations, different, uh, different um, counseling centers in the area that we can link you up with if you want to talk. If you want to talk with a pastor uh, on the church and pray with them, we will Zoom with you. We'll converse with you over the phone. We'll do whatever. We want to walk with you in this season. You are not alone, even though you might feel alone. We, we want to be here with you. So help us know how to help you because isolation is certainly not the, not the plan here. It is figuring out how we can do community together. So realize your pastors are available for you. There are great counselors that are available for you. We'll link you up with them. Uh, and so message us in the message section or feel free to, to reach out to us in, in email form or whatever ways that you can. But to get your stress inventory to kind of do your own stress assessment, text STRESS to 9700, and we will get that to you very, very shortly. But Jeff, thanks for being with us today, Absolutely. and thanks for being part of Grace Point Absolutely. and we making us great, and, uh, and again, just investing in us. Appreciate it. All right.